Can we welcome Tony? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good morning, church. How are you all doing? So good to be with you all this morning. It's fantastic. Kath, why don't you quickly come up here and say a quick hello and introduce yourself and they can get a, a little taste of you this morning before you share the Word of God tonight. This is my wife. Well, hello, everybody. It's great to be... Can you understand me? Great, because I've been called everything in this nation every time I say my name. So I went and got coffee yesterday, and they called me, they were calling out, Krabby, Krabby, <laughs> your coffee's ready. And I was like, okay, is that because you think my name's Krabby or I'm behaving that way? But, <laughs> so I just, I find I repeat myself a lot here today, but it's um, wonderful to be here. Uh, I have been to South Africa many times, but I've never been to Anthem. So it's wonderful to be here. I've heard a lot about you, um, met Jackie and Richard 2017, wow. So, and uh, have just enjoyed getting to know. They've been to uh, Victory, they've been to our home, they've been, uh, we've travelled together, had some fun together, and we really, really do love them. And then because we love them, we love you. So we're, I'm really looking forward to being with you tonight. But um, thank you for having us, and um, I, I just think you're amazing. So it's great, it's great to be here, and I'm going to hand over to you because you do a better job. Right. Oh, there we go. I thought I'd better bring my wife with me this time because I told a lot of stories about her and some of you didn't believe that I actually had a wife, so there she is in the flesh. So, and she will be preaching tonight and I know something of what she wants to share and I want to say if you can be back tonight, uh, you will not be wasting your time. You'll be absolutely blessed with the word of God that she wants to bring tonight. Uh, Rich and Jack, thanks so much for your friendship. Thanks for the opportunity to preach this morning. Uh, thanks for the fun that we've had over the last two and a half years. Uh, this has been a year of celebration for us as a couple and as a church and as a family. In January, I turned 50 years of age, so that was worthy of a celebration. Yeah. And, and then my wife turned 50 in April, so that was worthy of a celebration. Our oldest daughter turned 21 this year, so that happened in June, so that was a big deal for us. Our church turned 25 years old. We planted it 25 years ago when we were 24, 25 years of age. So we were able to celebrate that. And Richard and Jax were with us uh, celebrating that in July or thereabouts uh, this year, which was amazing. And then our 13 or our 12-year-old turned 13. She became a teenager. And to be honest, of all the celebrating we've done and of all the parties that we've had, that to date has been the biggest one. It was a Harry Potter-themed party. And I'm telling you, she went to town on this particular party. So we have been celebrating like crazy this year. It's been one thing after another after another. And I think it's only fitting that we be here with you on your six-year anniversary of leading this church. This is kind of cool. And as you can only imagine, because of all the celebrating, we've had a few different things that we've been doing. We've had a few extra holidays and we found ourselves in different parts of Australia and different parts of the world celebrating and uh, making uh, you know, the most of this particular year. And as you do when you're on holidays, you kind of just unwind and, and you just cash out. Uh, and uh, I found myself more recently in Queensland, and Queensland is very similar feel 
to uh, this beautiful city in which you live, and it's where all of the holiday makers go. And Kath and I were up there having a little bit of a downtime, a little bit of a break, more celebrating. And, and there I was on the Gold Coast, and I saw this particular restaurant, and I thought, let's go to this restaurant and we'll have a meal again, celebrating the year that has been. And I get to the door, and at the door was a sign. And on the sign it said, no flip-flops, no shorts, no singlets, and no hat. And there I was on holiday with my flip-flops, in my shorts, with a singlet, and a vest, and a cap. I was four from four. And at the top of this sign, it had the word strictly. Strictly no flip-flops, strictly no singlets, strictly no shorts, strictly no hats or caps. And I did what every self-respecting Australian should do and just kind of took that as a challenge. <laughs> and so we proceeded up the stairs to this restaurant uh, thinking that we would get into this restaurant and I was met by a man and he looked at me and he said, excuse me, sir, you cannot come in because you have flip-flops on your feet, you have shorts, vest and a hat. And I said, I just thought that was just a sign and he said, it is a sign and it applies to you and he would not let us in. That's your moment to say, ah. Oh. He did not understand that this was a year of celebration for us. But the point is that this was not only a place that was exclusive, it was strictly exclusive. And for me to get into that place, I needed had to change what I was wearing first. And it got me thinking at that moment. Here I was on holiday, and the moment just captivated me afresh as I was reminded about our mandate as a church in Australia here in South Africa, and right throughout the earth. Because Jesus' sole mission in life is to build the church. I don't know if you're aware of that. Jesus' mission is to build the church. Everyone shout out at me, church. He has a passion for the church. And in Matthew chapter 16, there's this incredible moment where Jesus asked the 12 disciples of whom had been following him for a number of years, and he said, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter that had the revelation that you are the Christ. You're not just a man, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then Jesus in turn brings a revelation to this man who was known as Simon and he gives him a name change. He says, because of this revelation, I'm going to show you who you are. And then because of this revelation that Peter had had of who Jesus was, he now had a revelation of who he was. And now he had an understanding of what he'd been called to do. Jesus said that you have been known as Simon, but I call you Peter, and on you I will build my church. Jesus has a passion to build his church, and he wants to do it on people who have had a revelation of who he is, a revelation of who they are, and a revelation of what it is that you've been called to do. Every one of us has been gifted by God to do something and make a difference in our world. We may not change the whole world, but we can change our world. And for that to take place, we need a revelation of who he is. Jesus said, who do the people say that I am? 
And when it was left to the people, there were all kinds of answers. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the other prophets. But then Jesus got real personal. He said, who do you say that I am? And it was only Peter who says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. The church that Jesus once built is on the foundation of us knowing who he is. And when we know who he is, we'll learn who we are. And when we learn who we are, we'll have an understanding of what it is that we have been called to do. I consider it an incredible privilege to be here with you this morning, preaching the word of God in another nation as part of what God has called me to do. I don't know about you, I'm one of those people that love singing, I'm just not good at it. Is there anyone out there who loves singing, but you're just not good at it? And do some of you have friends who will tell you that you're not good at singing? Yeah, I have friends like that too. And uh, I, I realise I may not be a good singer, but I have got something that I can bring to the body of Christ. I've got something that I can bring to my world. And I want you to know every one of you has something that you can bring to your world to make a difference of hope and change. Are you with me this morning? Amen. And so Jesus had the vision, he had the strategy, and he had the people in order to build his church. But in order to get the people, we have to include people. Turn to the person next to you and say, include people. And to include people, we have to accept people. Turn to your second choice on the other side and say, accept people. You see, acceptance creates belonging. And belonging opens the door to believing. And believing leads to new behaviour. And if I'm honest, and I'm not here to bash the church, I love the church. I, I've been leading our church for 25 years. I've been preaching around the, the world for the last 20 odd years. And I love the church. And I'm not here to bash upon the church. But I, I think sometimes as the church, we get it wrong with our order. I think our intentions are right. But I think our order can sometimes be askew. See, I think sometimes we, we want people to... Change their behaviour first. Much like that restaurant, they wanted me to change in order to come in. And I think sometimes, even if it's subconsciously, we, we, we expect people to change their behaviour and then to change their believing. And when you've changed your behaviour and changed your believing, then you can belong to this elite club called the church. But I believe Jesus' example is the exact opposite of that, is that he made people belong. He accepted people right where they were at. The Bible says it this way. He was a friend of sinners. While we were still sinners, while we were doing our own thing, while we were just content in doing the wrong thing, Jesus loved us. He came to planet Earth. And if you're visiting here today for the first time and you're not part of this church or you're not part of a church, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that here at Anthem, you are welcome. And we are so glad that you are here today. Can we put our hands together for those visiting for the first time this morning? It's so good. And we want you to belong. We want you to be feel part of this community. And we're not here to ask you to do anything. We just want you to enjoy this moment here today because that's what Jesus did. While we were still sinners, he left uh, the uh, heavens and came to planet Earth. He didn't wait for us to change. And, and I believe Jesus was brilliant at creating a sense of belonging. And belonging is all about creating friendship. 
He was a friend first to sinners. And when we have a sense of belonging, it opens the doors to believing. And so, so the first thing is friendship. And then believing can take place, which is about sonship. But it starts with friendship, and it can lead to sonship. And then it can change our behavior, and that's discipleship. And I really believe that this is the pattern and the model that Jesus shows us in his scriptures. And so this morning, if you are taking notes, the simple title of my message is this, and it's something I'm really passionate about. I've entitled my message, Strictly Inclusive. Strictly inclusive. I believe as a church, we should be strictly inclusive. But again, I'm not here just to talk about the church. I'm here to talk about us as individual believers. As Christians, we should have a lifestyle that is strictly inclusive. And I want to read a portion of Scripture that's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 this morning. I'm reading from the NIV. Please feel free to follow on your device, your Bible, or on the screen. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and Jesus began to tell a story. Jesus was a prolific storyteller. We know these stories as parables. And he said, There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and he went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think the neighbor of the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus was asked a question, and it's a fair question to ask, by one of the experts in the law. And the question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as he often did and was brilliant at doing, answered a question with a question. You know that annoying guy that always answers questions with a question? Jesus was like that. And Jesus asked a question when a question was asked of him. And so he says, well, well, what is written? Isn't it amazing? We want angelic visitations. We want visitations from the Lord. And yet when Jesus was right there, he took them back to the Word. If you want a visitation from Jesus, open your Bible and read it. Just saying. And Jesus says, what is written in the Word of God? And the expert of the Lord says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body and soul and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says, that's correct. But then the expert in the law went further and wanted to test Jesus further 
and wanting to justify himself, he asked another question. And I wasn't there, obviously. I am 50, but I'm not that old. And I don't know exactly what it looked like, but I imagine this expert in the law standing with his expert in the law friends, saying, watch this guy, I've got, this. I've got another question for him. And who is my neighbour? And maybe he was getting, you know, ribs from the sides. Oh, good question. That's a great question. I think that's <laughs> Trying to trap Jesus here. And the question was answered by Jesus in a simple way through the telling of a story. But had this man watched Sesame Street he would know who his neighbour is. Now, every self-respecting kid my age grew up with a show called Sesame Street. And it was a children's learning program with lots of puppets and Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. And I think every episode started with the song, Who are the people in your neighbourhood? In your neighbourhood. <laughs> In your neighbourhood, say, who are the people in your neighbourhood? And the answer is, they're the people that you meet when you're walking down the street. Yeah. They're the people that you meet each day. <laughs> it's hard to believe I'm not on the worship team, I know. <laughs> I sing like an angel, a fallen one, anyway. <laughs> So this expert in the law and his expert in the law buddies obviously hadn't seen Sesame Street because they would have known a neighbour is someone that you meet when you're walking down the street. They're the people that we meet each day. And there are people that you meet when you walk down the street. And you meet them each day. And they come in all shapes and sizes. And Jesus was using this moment to get their attention to highlight what is important to him. Because to love Jesus is to love what is important to him. Would that be fair to say? Yes. And so he's telling this story to make a point. In other words, a neighbour is anyone you meet who has any need that you have the ability to help them. Yeah. You see, the man in need was a neighbour to the priest he was a neighbour to the Levite and he was a neighbour to the Samaritan. That's why Jesus told this story with these three characters in it. And what Jesus was saying is that he was a neighbour to all three of them. But two of the three did what I call the look away. And maybe you know what the look away is because someone's done it to you. Or maybe you know what the look away is because you've done it yourself. The look away is something that you do when you see somebody, but you don't want to interact with them. And so you see Paul and you say, oh, I don't want to talk to Paul. And with modern technology, it's really easy to pick up the phone and just pretend you're on the call. Which can be really embarrassing if you're doing the look away with a phone, pretending you're on the phone and then it starts ringing. So if you're going to do the look away with the phone, I would suggest put your phone on silent. Otherwise, good tip, write that down. That's, you mentioned I'm here to change people's lives. That, that's, a cha that's a game changer. 
That's a game changer. That's, that's a point right there. Maybe it's just the pretending to do up the shoelace <laughs> until they walk past. Am I, am I talking to the right people? Or do we only do this in Australia? I, I love the Word of God, but let's not leave the Word of God in the past. Let, let's bring it into the now. Because I, I, I tell you, the challenge that Jesus brought the religious people back then are the same challenges that he's bringing to us today. Two of the three did the look away. It was only this Samaritan character was the one who acted. And what he did was what the first two should have done. It was the Samaritan who helped a Jew in need. Now, I don't know if you get what that means, but that would be like being at the Rugby World Cup when the Springboks played the Wallabies and after a tight game, the Springboks won. And in their joyful, exuberant celebration, some of the supporters took out their excitement on one of the Wallaby supporters and beat them up black and blue and then left. And as this helpless Wallaby supporter lay there, some other Wallaby supporters see their fellow Wallaby supporter on the floor and do nothing about it. But a Springbok supporter comes and helps the Wallaby supporter. It's like shock, horror. I mean, you would not expect that. You'd expect the Aussies to rally together. And, and Jesus is saying, these first two, this Levite and this priest, they should have been the ones to help their fellow brother. In actual fact, this is the very thing that they taught. In Leviticus, which is what they taught from, verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 33, it says, when a foreigner lives with you in your land, don't take advantage of him. Treat the foreigner with the same as the native. Love him like one of your own. Remember, you were once foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. It's an amazing thing that we can teach the Word of God, but not act on the Word of God. The first two in this story are the ones that should have known what to do because they taught from the Word of God about what to do in these circumstances. But they did nothing about it. The big question that Jesus is asking is this. Do you love your neighbour? Do you love your neighbour? See, this is a love story before it's a doing story. The last thing Anthem needs it's for you to feel convicted slash condemned by this message and go off and feel you've got to do something. That's not where this story starts. This is first and foremost a love story, not a doing story. Are you with me this morning? See, God is not trying to get us to do more. He's trying to get us to love more. See, religion is all about what we do and what we don't do. But Jesus is madly and passionately in love with us, so much so he left the splendour of heaven, came to planet earth while we were still sinners. And he accepted us in our broken state. 
This, my friends, is a love story. And the context of this story is that the Samaritan didn't start doing, but he first took pity on this man. He took pity on him. He had compassion. In other words, it's not a lack of opportunity that stops us doing something. It's usually a lack of compassion. And compassion is not an emotion, it's a choice. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question and said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? You see, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he was mocked and jeered, and he was challenged by onlookers with this cry. You who say you can save others, why don't you come down off the cross and save yourself? But here's the kicker. Had Jesus come off the cross and saved himself, of which he could have done, he had legions of angels at his disposal that could have come to save himself. But had he saved himself, guess what? He would not have saved you. And he would not have saved me. So Jesus made more about the moment than just the here and the now. He looked into the future, some 2,000 years into the future, and saw you and saw me. And instead of coming down off the cross and saving himself, he chose to die in order to save others. For people to feel like they belong, they have to feel loved. And before we can expect people to have a certain, act a certain way or believe a certain something, we have to create a very real sense of belonging. And I feel that this word is timely for this church as we get excited about the building project that is around the corner. But I know all the money that's going to be raised and I know that all the work that's going to be done, it's not about having a building. It's about creating a purpose and a place for people to come. And so I get very excited about the future of Anthem. I feel I am a member of this church. And I get excited about what is going to take place through this new building that's going to house more people. But in order for it to house more people, we need to be a people that actually create a sense of belonging. And not just in church, but in our own world and in our own lives. And so when it becomes, uh, comes to creating a culture of belonging and becoming strictly inclusive, I just want to highlight a few things this morning to bring a challenge to all of us, myself included, that we might stay on track and never become like that restaurant that I visited that wouldn't let me in because of how I looked or what I was wearing but that we could be a church that is truly, strictly inclusive. Are you with me? Number one, strictly inclusive involves all people everywhere. Strictly inclusive involves all people everywhere. It should not be based upon religion, race, national barriers, because there are no barriers to compassion. And so this church should be a church where all are welcome. Victory Church, the church I lead, should be a church where all are welcome. Yeah. 
Jesus specifically used the Samaritan in this story to highlight the point that actually we need to be open to all people at all times. In our church back home, the last few weeks we've had a young man visiting and he's from a Muslim background. And he's just gone through a few things and he's been coming on a weekly basis and as we've been able to get to know him and talk with him, I asked him recently what it is that keeps bringing him back to this church because this is not the belief system that he grew up with or adheres to. And he said this, I just feel so welcome. What I learned today when I woke up and looked at my phone was this young man went to church again as he's been doing for the last few weeks and he received the Bible as he made the decision to follow Jesus this morning. And we haven't had the religion talk yet. He just felt very at home in a place of people that didn't judge him based on what he believed. And again, I don't know what it is that you believe today, but Anthem is a church, I believe, where you can feel welcome and that you can actually find a home. That you can feel acceptance and that you can feel a peace and a joy. And if you're a member of Anthem Church, you have a part to play in helping everyone, both today and into the future, feel very much at home and have a sense of belonging. No matter who they are, no matter what background they come from, because being strictly inclusive involves all people yeah. everywhere. Secondly, being strictly inclusive involves taking risks. It involves taking risks. You see, the story goes that this Samaritan stopped to help this Jew. But the thing that Jesus doesn't elaborate on is the fact that this was quite a dangerous scenario. This could have been a trap. I've watched enough movies to know that when a car is broken down in the middle of nowhere, it's usually a setup to get you to stop so that someone will jump out of the car and take what it is that you have. So in order to help people, in order to create a place of belonging, it's going to take risk. It's going to take something from us. In church, it's going to take a risk. Even today, maybe we can have an opportunity to put into practice this message when we just step out of our comfort zone, take a risk and speak to someone that you've never spoken to before. You, you'd be surprised at the people that call Anthem home that you haven't even met yet. And so I want to encourage you to take a risk and, and go up and say hi. Just introduce yourself. It could be a game changer. Take a risk when it comes to being strictly inclusive. Stepping out of your comfort zone. Richard and Jackie have had the privilege of meeting our families. We've had the privilege of meeting theirs and that's one of the great things that happens when you travel the way we do. And They've got to meet our kids and Mitch, our son, my one and only son, Mitch, he's 19 years of age. He, he works a, a job while he's studying. 
um, at the local movie house and uh, doing a great job there. But he's befriended one of the young men that work there. And this young man is a similar age, but uh, his lifestyle that he's chosen to adopt and the sexuality that he's chosen for himself isn't one that Mitch necessarily agrees with, isn't one that the Bible advocates, but Mitch has become a friend of his. Mitch has just loved on him and become a friend. So much so that he's found himself coming to church where he found more acceptance and love. And he's been coming to church now for a a number of weeks. And his mum and dad came to church for the first time as a result of seeing their son happy for the first time in his life. And they go to church and they just wanted to come to our church just to see what on earth is going on that their son, who's chosen a certain path and chosen a certain lifestyle, could find such happiness and joy. You know, I'm aware of what the Bible says about certain things. But I'm also aware about what the Bible says about certain things. That's why I'm preaching this today. It's amazing, we jump on the things, oh, you're not allowed to do that, and we become as religious as the very people that Jesus was talking to and talking about. Jesus said that we need to love people and accept people. And I'm watching this young man's life change before our very eyes. We're not a model church. We've made a lot of mistakes. We've got our sad stories as well. But we are committed to being a strictly inclusive church. Because if we're not going to become that, really, the buildings we build, the money we raise actually becomes in vain. And we have this incredible opportunity to take risks. So this, this day, let's step out of our comfort zone. Let's say hello to people we've never said hello to before. Let's use this afternoon to, to make yourself known to people that we rub shoulders with. And who knows what can happen. Number three, strictly inclusive involves making time. The Samaritan in this journey had to stop to do what he did. Which means by stopping, whatever his plans were, were interrupted. Is it possible that we don't stop because we're too busy? Is it possible that the priest and the Levite wanted to stop, but they had to get to church? The priest is like, man, I'm preaching today. And the Levite's saying, yeah, I'm doing the sound check today. And the guy that's been beaten up is going, oh. <laughs> but who's to say that the Samaritan wasn't busy? Who's to say that the Samaritan didn't have a place to go and a place to be? But he stopped. If we're going to be truly, strictly inclusive, it's going to take time. And time is a precious commodity that we've got to make in order to reach the people that we meet when we walk down the street. I had the privilege recently of being invited to someone's home to have a lunch with him, new member to the church. And as I rocked up at his home, I didn't have long, and so I was hoping to get in and out, get to know him a little bit better, 
And when I got there, his business partner was there. And I thought, oh, okay, so I meet the business partner. I think we can go to another room so I can chat to this guy who's a member of our church who's asked to get to know me a bit more and some of the ideas that he had. But now he's got his non-Christian business partner there. And we didn't move. And he didn't move. And I'm thinking, oh, this, is, this is kind of awkward now because the conversation I was going to have, it's kind of got interrupted. So I thought. And the business partner of the man that I was actually there to see asked this question. We got talking about the gym and different things. He was a gym junkie and, and he says, uh, he, he's a vegan. He doesn't eat meat, but he's into bodybuilding. And so he asked me this question. He says, what does the Bible say about veganism? And, and I thought, you know what? We could get into a discussion about all of that and miss the moment. And initially, I, in the busyness of my time, because I had to be back at work. And I found myself rolling my eyes at this stupid question. <laughs> From a guy who I wasn't even there to see. I'm thinking, what are you even doing here? I'm here to see Chris, I don't even know who you are. That's what I'm thinking. And as I'm arguing myself about the annoyance of this guy to my reason that I was there, I felt God say, are you going to practice what you preach? And it was like the angels in heaven started singing, they're the people that you meet when you're walking down the street. <laughs> and being a little bit slow on the uptake, I, I oh, this is the meeting. That was my meeting, but this is the meeting. And when I settled that, I settled in. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to be late. And then I engaged in the moment. I'm so glad. Because my first answer to the question would have been a, just a short, sharp, to shut him down kind of answer. But having settled why I was there, I was able to engage in a great conversation. And I said to this guy, I said, well, you need to know that the Bible is not a book written for dietary requirements. which gave me a little bit more time to just think about what is the real answer I want to give. <laughs> you know when Jesus bent down and started writing in the sand? Yeah. All the experts have their reasons as to why Jesus did that and what he was writing. But who knows, maybe Jesus was just creating some time and space to think. Maybe he was just going, yes, well... <laughs> I don't know. Father, anytime you want to speak, that would be good. We laugh, but that's far better to do that and hear God than come up with an answer. And so I said, oh, it's not a book on dietary requirements. And I'm thinking, so what is it, Lord, exactly? What is it? And I just thought, this God drop. I said, the Bible is actually a, a love letter. I said, it's written from God to man. He goes, oh, I don't know about that. He goes, there's a lot of do's and don'ts in there. A lot of heavy stuff in there. None of this love stuff. And I said, well, it depends how you see love. And I felt, now I'm on a roll. 
So it depends how you view love. I knew he had three children, as we have three children. I said, hey, you got three kids, yeah? He said, yeah, I have three kids. I said, well, we have three kids, and, and, and we've had incredible opportunity in raising our kids and the fun we've had with our kids, and, and we've been down the playground many times and played on that equipment. It's been amazing, but you know what? That moment would change if some man I did not know came up and just started playing with our kids, speaking to them in ways that are inappropriate, doing things that shouldn't be done. I said, God loves you. God loves your kids. And I said, as a dad, if you saw something like that happening at a playground, would you not step in? So he said, love hates evil. I said, all of our kids have experienced the oven talk. He said, what's the oven talk? I said, well, when they were much younger, we went to the oven and, and, and showed them that uh, when it's been used, it gets very hot. And, and, and we don't want them to touch the oven because it's going to hurt them. Yeah. And I said, is that an act of love, telling them not to touch something? Ah, I see where you're going. That gentleman, who I saw as an interruption to my day, ended up coming to church. He ended up coming to our all-in meeting. He ended up having a, a meeting with one of our leaders. He hasn't made a decision yet, but he's on a journey. And I'm just so grateful that I didn't allow me to get in the way of a moment. See, I know this story, and I know as I'm sharing it, maybe some of you went, ah, oh, we've heard this before, yeah. It's not about what we've heard, it's about what are we doing? And I never wanted to be one of those professional pastors that tells the congregation to do stuff. And I made a decision about two years ago. I said, Lord, I, I want a testimony every week of sharing my faith. I, I don't want to be asking the church to do something I'm not engaged in and involved in myself. And I tell you, that, that, that prayer has changed my life. It's changed the way I preach. It's changed the way I lead. And you know what? It's a lot of fun. It's really exciting. Number four, strictly inclusive involves sacrifice. The Samaritan didn't just sacrifice his time, but he also sacrificed his finances, his energy, he used his own provisions. He offered to come back and pay for anything that uh, cost the owner more. I believe that this Heart for the House Sewing in September campaign is exactly where it should be for the future of this church to move forward. Because it's going to cost something. There's going to be a sacrifice somewhere. Margaret Thatcher said this, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he only had good intentions. He had money as well. Again, I had a privilege just the other day of being in a cafe and I was with Jordan, our oldest daughter, just chatting away and I saw this older man just sitting nearby us and I don't know, for some reason I just, I just got captivated by this man as he was just going about his business and when I went to pay for our meal, I just said to the lady behind the till, I said, look, I'd love to pay for that gentleman's 
meal. Never met him before. He said, oh, he's already paid for it. I said, well, can you tell me how much it cost? And she said, like, I can't because I don't know where the till is, blah, 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 uh, or the bill. And so I just went over to him, and I just kind of looked at what he was having, thought about what it would cost, doubled it, gave him some money. And I said, I just wanted to know, I went to pay for your meal, see, so you've already paid for it. I just, just want to pay for your meal. And he says, young man, I said, we're friends for life. <laughs> and he said, you don't have to do that. And that's the point. I didn't have to do it. I just wanted to. Because something of this good God that we've been singing about, and this good grace that we've been singing about, got a hold of my life afresh. And I believe, as God has done that in my life, He can do it in our lives, and we can make a difference. See, love is the key. In John chapter 13, verse 35, it says, This is how we will recognize who is my disciple when we see the love that they have for each other. After telling the story, Jesus closes with this thought Who do you think the neighbor was? And how's this for an answer? The expert in the law said, The one he had mercy on. He couldn't even mention his name. Which highlights you can be in a meeting and learn a lesson, but it still not change your heart. He couldn't even mention the Samaritan. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. And Jesus responds with this, go and do likewise. I'm going to ask if we can just close our eyes just for a moment. Being here this morning was a real treat. The worship was so beautiful. And I thought, wow, what an incredible God we serve. How beautiful is Jesus? And as we reflect upon his beauty, his majesty, and his nature, as we reflect upon his goodness, his grace, and his mercy towards us, as we declare afresh this morning how incredibly grateful we are for all that he's done for us, there's an opportunity for us to go and do likewise. It's an opportunity for us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. There's an opportunity for us to be like this Samaritan. You know, this story is often called the Good Samaritan. But if I was to name this story, I'd call it, I'd call it Don't Leave It to Samaritans. See, Jesus sends people to help people. And if the people he wants to do something won't do it, he'll use someone else. And I would say, let's not leave it to others, but let's embrace the challenge and the joy of being involved in changing people's lives. Yeah. I love church. As I've mentioned before, I've been in church for about 35 years, leading our church for 25. But there's an incredible joy in rubbing shoulders with the people in our world and making a difference in their lives. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a dynamic, real relationship with Jesus. I know this church is full of people who would love to spend time with you and answer any questions that you may have. 
I know there's a welcome lounge here. And I would say, make the most of this opportunity to get alongside someone. Any questions you have about church, Jesus, God, the Bible, ask someone. Don't leave this place without those questions being answered. But for all of us who call Anthem home and have been stirred by something of what's been shared today and you're saying, I, I want to make a difference. I, I want to step out. I want to overcome my fears. I'd love you to stand with me right now as I pray and then hand back to Richard. Father, I just thank you for your word that brings joy, peace, challenge and correction. And I pray this morning that through this word that's been spoken, through this old story that was told, that there be a shift of heart. That we would love the people that we meet when we walk down the street. The people that are in our world. I pray for a fresh love. I pray for a fresh courage. I pray for a fresh boldness to speak, to model, and to show your love to each and every precious person that comes across our path. And I pray even this week, Lord, opportunities would not only come, but opportunities would be seen, noticed, and taken. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.